The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome back to the Ruthless Friday program in the program that you've all been waiting for. It's the big one. It's the 2023 Liberal Hack Tournament, our fourth annual smug. It's it's a big deal. This is an annual tradition. Uh, and for our new listeners, basically what we do is this is a March Madness style tournament of the biggest hacks in media. And this year, I got to tell you, it's more stacked than it ever has been before. This is 65 of the biggest hacks in journalism, <laughs> if you can even call it journalism. And this tournament's what everyone's waiting to do. It is. It is a big-time deal for the Ruthless Variety program. Everybody listens. Everybody knows that we crown one champion. And we put a lot of thought into this. Like you said, Smug, 65. There's also a play-in game. That's right. We have really thought about this very hard, about who would make this tournament. Some names new. Some old, you know competent hacks have been falling off a little bit we got some new faces I, i'm very excited for this year very tournament. excited to see what we've got as you said people like brian stelter the potato no longer in media he was in the first three finals this it's incredible is, that is a big development we are going to see end of an era an end of an era and a different field i'll remind listeners you can go to hackmadness.org hackmadness.org to fill out your own bracket. That's brought to you by Horse Sense. The man does an incredible job. He does. He does, but you know what? We have two things for people today, not just the hack madness. We also have a very, very special guest. We're giving you a little something extra in today's program. Dan Dockich, you probably remember him, him and his commentary from the NCAA March Madness over the years. He's got a resume steeped in college basketball and also now politics. He's there at OutKick. And also important for folks to remember is Hack Madness is all about our listeners. It's all about the people. You folks are going to vote. Every time we have one of the games happening in the tournament, I'm going to post on Twitter. People are going to vote, and we're going to find out who's the biggest hack in media. This is terrific. I couldn't be more excited. Let's get right to it. Four regions, as we always do. The fake news out of Atlanta, the establishment division down in Georgetown, liberal activists in Brooklyn, and the way too online out in New Haven. Let's start with fake news in Atlanta. The number one seed out there probably doesn't surprise anybody, Don Lemon. We're live at CNN, where Don Lemon's selection party is a veritable ghost town. Many of the former stars of Hack Madness were fired from the network following the ouster of CNN chief Jeff Zucker. A sad day for the Mike Krzyzewski of fake news. The 57-year-old Lemon is known for lobbing balls deep, recently attacking middle-aged women for being out of their prime. With a perimeter game like that, he could light up the scoreboard in this tournament. We thank Hollywood Hen for that report. Now we're going to Don Lemon's competition out of CNN, Manu Raju in the 16th seed. Yeah, I mean, talk about a tough draw. You're facing Don Lemon in the first game. But you never know. You know, you love to see upsets. Ultimately, it's going to come down to how people vote. Well, this could be an upset in the next matchup. 
Greg Sargent of the Washington Post gets the eight seed. He's taking on CNN's Natasha Bertrand. This is one of the best matchups in the first round. You got Greg Sargent at Plum Line, just some of the worst takes takes in the history of journalism. And then you've got Natasha Bertrand, notorious Russia Gate truther. I'm really looking forward to this first round matchup. It is going to be interesting. We'll move down to the five seed versus the twelve. That's going to be Anderson Cooper of CNN. He's taking on Julia Yaffe. That's, I mean, yet again, that's a tough draw for Julia. She does a great job being a hack, always with the worst takes, but you're taking on Anderson Cooper. He is literally primetime hack. A low-key powerhouse here at the four seed, Edward Isaac DeVere matches up against Politico editor Sam Stein in the 13. People sleep on DeVere. They really, really do. I mean, I think similar to Sargent, I mean, these are some of the worst takes in the history of journalism, this guy. Justin Barragona with the sixth seed. He's taking on the one and the only Bill Crystal. I mean, Barragona has done all the Daily Beast like hit piece uh, journalism. And I, I mean, you know, he's going to be a tough out, but I think our audience uh, really hates Bill Crystal. <laughs> so I'm interested to see how that voting takes place. 100%. <laughs> the 314, an interesting matchup with April Ryan as a three seed taking on Sahil Kapoor. If I remember correctly, isn't Salah the guy who's always waiting outside elevators? Like, that is his one job. He waits outside elevators, asks hack questions. I don't know if it's going to be enough to topple April Ryan, though. She's been at the hackiness for a while. Yeah. Moving up in this year's field, the number seven seed, Philip Bump of the Washington Post. A solid body of work this year. He's going to be taking on the number 10. He's fallen a bit in recent years, Jim Acosta. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to say too, Holmes. I think, you know, Acosta, his prime, he might be past it as far as being a hack. He doesn't have Trump anymore, and so he's not preening in the limelight. I think he's probably going down to Bump. Number two seed, this is the second best, and he's got a really nice-looking bracket in front of him, Aaron Blake of the Washington Post. We've tasked the selection committee this year at looking more deeply into the print reporters. I have to believe Aaron Blake is definitely a result of some of that. And I think he's earned it, right? I mean, he, he has well-earned that second seed. And, you know, I mean, there are a few people who put pen to paper and been more hacks than him. <laughs> He's going to be taking on the 15th seed out of Yahoo News. Not that anybody's read it. <laughs> Alex Nazarian. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows the guy's a hack. But yet again, you got to say, Aaron Blake, that's a tough matchup. That wraps up our fake news division. We're headed north to the establishment division out of Georgetown with a number one seed, Matthew Dowd. Let's go live to his headquarters. Josh, no contender has had a crazier road to the number one seed than this leader of our establishment region. From Republican to ABC analyst to LG candidate to MSNBC analyst, no one has made a mockery of the transfer portal quite like Matthew Dowd. A prolific poster of historical quotes and cringe poems, Dowd will have to be more focused on brainworm content if he hopes to make a deep run this year. A terrific report out of Dowd headquarters. He's going to be taking on a play-in game this year, folks. It's going to be the 16 versus 16, David French versus Tim Miller. Yeah, you've got a couple of folks who say that they're the true conservatives, but pretty much go with every left-wing cause out there. 
I think I want to see the voting on that one. And I appreciate the selection committee making those two fight it out together <laughs> <laughs> for, for the chance to go against Matthew Dowd. I do think Dowd might be our weakest number one. I don't want to be controversial Ooh, here, yeah. but I think if you look at his content and what's going out there, you know, he's not really bringing his A game. I think like our report stated, he's got to come in hard with some more takes. He can't just be posting cringe bullshit. Fascinating, <laughs> fascinating analysis there, Duncan. They're taking on no slouches here either. The eight seed, Nicole Wallace out of MSNBC. She's taking on the nine, Steve Schmidt. And, you know, that is actually kind of like a, a, a clash of the champions here of who's got more brain worms. You've got Steve Schmidt. Folks may remember he tried selling PlayStations on Twitter <laughs> for God knows what. Maybe the grift is over with the Lincoln Project. And then you've got Nicole Wallace, who's basically losing her mind on primetime every day. And I think you bring up a good point, Smug. This is the dichotomy of the liberal hack tournament. You've got both these never-Trumpers, and you've got these liberal stalwarts. And ultimately, who's going to prevail when it comes to the voting? Very good. Now, moving up in this year's field, she was a play-in last year. This year, solidly seated at the number five, Alyssa Farah. She takes on Max Boot of the Washington Post in the 12th seat. And a well-deserved five, I would say, from Alyssa. You know, she, God willing, she goes on The View every day and eats a sandwich of shit <laughs> from, a, from a bunch of lunatics. Uh, I think, you know, you could honestly place her higher. And I would say, I think she's going to cruise. Very good. Yeah, that's a tough one for Backspin, for sure. We're headed down to the four versus 13. Stephanie Rule, a very impressive conference record this time around. She's going to be the four seed taking on the 13, Dana Bilbank. There really is no topic that Stephanie Rule can't be a flip-flopping hack on. You know, you saw her the other day talking about how Republicans are responsible for Silicon Valley Bank failing when they bought mortgage-backed securities. Her previous career was selling more back securities. Yeah. This is a huge hack. <laughs> and the first time participant here in the Hack Madness coming into the sixth seed way up there after an impressive season, Michael Beschloss. He's taking on Rick Wilson. This is fascinating because uh, Beschloss has been rumored to be joining the Biden administration at various points. This guy was a so-called historian, and now he's just basically become a liberal hack. He's like a jukebox. You put a quarter in the guy, and he goes on MSNBC (laughs) to tell you how this is worse than Watergate, and it's the end of democracy, because he's written a few books. Um you know, but he is going against Rick Wilson, one of the most prolific posters of the Never Trump movement. I'm looking at this in the same way that I was looking at Sergeant Bertrand as being a really interesting first round matchup. Mm-hmm. Great analysis there. We'll go to the three seed radio free Tom Nichols taking on a fellow radio hack. The 14th seed Charlie Sykes. I mean, the really interesting thing, and you see this pattern in the establishment division, is this is just turncoat central. These are folks who want to keep their cushioned lifestyle going. They want to keep the money rolling by flipping teams. Now, all of a sudden, they're backing all the left-wing causes. That's true conservatism, for sure. We head down to the 7-10 matchup. It's going to be John Harwood. I can't help but think his lack of employment affected his seating here. Uh, Against number 10, ABC's Jonathan Carl. Again, I mean, you look at this. Harwood is a well-known hack, but his career situation's up in the air. 
kudos to him for still fighting out of the seventh seed. We go to the two seed, very powerful body of work this year, Sherry Jacobus. She's facing off against a veteran of the hack madness, the 15th seed, Jonah Goldberg. My only regret in this is that Jonah Goldberg runs into the buzzsaw that is Sherry Jacobus <laughs> so soon. Because you know if he went further in the tournament, he'd probably be complaining about it. <laughs> That wraps up our establishment division. We're going to head a little further north over to Brooklyn to the liberal activist division where the number one overall seed, our defending two-time champion, Jennifer Rubin. Let's go out to her headquarters live. We're live here at Jen Rubin headquarters where our reigning champion is looking to not only repeat, but three-peat, a status previously reserved for the famed Chicago Bulls of the 1990s. But Jen isn't thinking about history tonight. She's simply concerned about offering her best brain worm tanks. Surrounded by cats and employees of the Joe Biden press office, Jen is ready to go deep in a tournament that some argue she'll win simply by showing up. Terrific report there from the Rubin headquarters. She's got a no-nonsense first-round matchup with Ryan Lizza, who authors Politico's playbook. I mean, sure, yeah, he's definitely a hack, but there's not enough that can be said. Two-time champion. It's it, The woman's a dynasty of hackness. <laughs> the next matchup, the 8-9, and nine, reflects the incredible smarts of this year's selection committee, pitting two radicalization and disinformation experts Brandy Zdrozny of, of NBC against Ken Delanian. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a great matchup, too. Just like Sergeant and Bertrand, uh, really hacks of the highest order, I think undervalued at their seating, but will be a fantastic matchup that's going to go down to the very end. And, you know, with the disinformation thing, it's two different uh, approaches to it. You've got Brandy Zdrozny, who's very much just pushing... Uh, uh, the, the the skepticism of anything a conservative says. Right. Well, Delaney is just doing CIA psyops. Right. You yeah. know, so they each have their own way. We're going to see who comes out on top. <laughs> I love that. We're moving a little bit further down the bracket to the five twelve matchup. That is perennial contender Aaron Rupar facing off against Jonathan Allen of NBC. Yeah, I would just go ahead and write in Rupar's name on this. This guy is puts up numbers every single day. He's notorious for his liberal hack, you know, takes. And just the content on social, I think, is going to get him over the top. A somewhat surprising high seed at the number four, Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler. He's facing off against Keith Oberman. I mean, it's going to be tough to beat Herr Kessler. The guy is a one-man factory of lies. All he does is basically try to bend the truth uh, in any way that it could help a left-wing candidate. I'm glad he's being held to account. I want him to go deep. There is a big powerhouse matchup in the center of this bracket this year at the 6-11 and 11 seeds. Joy Behar from The View taking on Ely Mistal. I think, you know, Behar is going to advance, you know, on the sheer will that she has every day to wake up and put Alyssa Farah in a body bag on The View. <laughs> Um, but I think, you know, if, if you really know Ely, you should give Ely more credit. Yeah. I just, I, you know, I just think Behar is going to advance. So the next seed, the three fourteen matchup, perennial powerhouse once again, the New Yorker's Jane Mayer. She'll take on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough. I mean, one thing, when you look at the names in this tournament, Sometimes you come across folks that just make your blood boil, and Jane Maris is 100% in that vein. 
horrifically bad takes. Supports packing the court and destroying the Constitution. And again, and again, another instance in, in which I think we've righted a wrong in this bracket where more of the print journalists get the credit they deserve. No question about it. Juddlegum coming in at the seventh seed this year. He's facing off against Larry Lawrence O'Donnell at the 10. I think, you know, Juddlegum, old Juddlegum, similar to Rupar, would probably advance on just how prolific the takes are on social yep. and, and the quote tweets. Um, I think that alone will probably propel him into the next round. The committee really rewarded a, a solid body of work here with a number two seed of CNN's Oliver Darcy. He's facing off against Wajahat Ali at the 15. I mean, this guy, you know, another example with Darcy here of an absolute chameleon. Didn't he reflect like the Daily Caller? And then he's like, hey, look, I can make a lot more money if I just completely sell out and become a liberal activist. And here he is. I would say, though, I think this is my... My pick for the biggest upset in round one, I think Wajahat Ali is an, a hack of the highest order. I, I, I'm reminded of that school choice bill that passed in Maine where he talked about how, oh, well, what would they say if you were allowed to have Islamic schools or Jewish schools? Because the idea was, oh, these Christian Catholic schools are going to be taking all the money in public schools. And right there in the bill, and I think Smug posted this, it's right there. Yeah. He had no idea. He hadn't read the fucking thing. That's a hack. The guy is an absolute <laughs> hack. A, a hack that doesn't even read, in which, you know, I just absolutely love. I, I hope he can figure out a way to beat Darcy. The old man Duncan doing some inside lobbying on the minions for the 215 matchup. Look, I haven't filled up my bracket yet. I'm just saying this is one that I think is going to be closer than people think. Well, that wraps up the liberal activist division in Brooklyn. We are heading out to New Haven for the way too online and always entertaining bracket. Starting with the number one seed, a surprise, a big surprise, a first time number one, but coming in with a very, very big year, Ben Collins. Let's go out to Collins HQ. Live from Ben Collins HQ, interns are furiously fact-checking whether he has actually received the coveted number one seed in our way to online region. Yes, this disinformation reporter is so incensed he'll have the FBI breaking down our doors by midnight. Ben is known for relentless press defense that recently got him suspended from NBC News for harassing Elon Musk. If he can stay out of foul trouble, he could be headed all the way to the championship. I mean, I think it's a well-deserved number one seed. There's going to be accusations that he used his family money to get that the same way he's gotten everything in life. But I want folks to keep an eye on him in this tournament. (laughs) An excellent report and an excellent observation. He's taking on David Frum in the 16th seed. No chance. I don't think Frum's got a chance against this guy. I mean, look at the body of work. Conference play, conference championship. Every single week, Ben Collins shows up and delivers. We go to the 8-9 seed, and again, once again, every single region, we're seeing a very, very difficult 8-9 matchup. Dave Weigel, I think he writes for Semaphore now. That's the Chinese-funded outfit. He's taking on MSNBC's Chris Hayes. I mean, you have to think the Chinese are going to be putting a lot of money towards getting him the W here. They've invested a lot in Weigel. We're going to see him perform. Yeah, look out for some bot activity on that poll. (laughs) (laughs) The number five seed in a unique 5-12 matchup. Yummy, a traditional powerhouse, Alcindor. She's at the five seed taking on Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times at 12. I worry that, like, with Trump not being president, that somebody who had that beat doesn't have as much exposure Mm. in that, you know, the Nicole Hannah-Joneses of the world, the people pushing CRT, have an edge now 
that you've got Joe Biden in the White House. Fascinating take. Out to the 413 matchup. Joy Reid of MSNBC, always a mover and a shaker in this tournament. She's taking on the Semaphore founder, Ben Smith. Yeah, and again, you know, there's going to definitely be some Chinese influence. We know Ben Smith loves the Chinese money. We know he (laughs) loves defending the left. We're going to have to see how this shakes out. The 6-11 matchup, an interesting one with Paul Krugman, a reliable hack over many, many years. He's taking on Matt Iglesias at the 11. I mean, honestly, I'm, I, I want to see if Iglesias even shows up. or He's got a new hobby recently. Have you guys seen this? He writes down license plates and reports them to the police if someone's parked incorrectly. Oh, no, yeah. If they don't have a license plate on the front of their car, he narks on them. I mean, this is really... <laughs> just this fuck, is what it's come to. Fucking hall monitor behavior. You're way, way too online. <laughs> Just the kind of momentum you look for when you're entering the tournament. We go to the 314 matchup. Molly Jong Fast taking on CNN's fact checker. A little lower profile these days in Daniel Dale. I don't know what to make of this matchup, you know, because I think both of them obviously coasted off of Donald Trump being president. Lower profile, I think both. Molly Jong Fast has a lot of other irons in the fire and the never Trump bullshit. I'm not sure what to make of this. I think this one's a real coin flip. The 7-10 matchup, Lawrence Tribe. The 7 taking on Kyle Griffin. If you remember last year, Kyle made some moves in the early rounds. And I'm really going to have to have, you know, a, a close look at how the minions vote on this. Kyle has blocked me on Twitter, so I don't necessarily see the hat garbage he pushes out on a daily basis. But the polls will speak for themselves. And the final bracket here of the Way 2 Online is the number 2 seed, perhaps deserving of a number 1, Taylor Lorenz. She's taking on the number 15, Emily Singer. Yeah, you know, I don't know what to make of this one either. I mean, Taylor Lorenz is a powerhouse. I see far less of her takes. Smug, also, she's blocked all of us, I think, multiple times at this point. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I think she probably gets through, but she's definitely basically become a COVID narc. And I don't know if that plays well long term with the audience, but I think she could go deep if she gets extreme brain worms around COVID. I'm looking forward to the tears. There's going to be tears if she wins. There's going to be tears if she loses. It's pretty much what she does. I love it. Gentlemen, we've got our full field of 65. Let's give it a little bit of analysis here. I'll kick it off by saying, look, we clearly have a difference when Brian Stelter is not a performer here in this year's Yeah, Madness. That absence of him not being in the tournament. The potato was a perennial powerhouse. In his absence, you're going to see new stars rise. You're going to see a lot of these hacks put their best foot forward. I think also just sort of the the new regime at CNN has really changed the trajectory of this tournament, right? I mean, there were a lot of stars over there putting up hack takes every single day. And with the new regime and Zucker out... You know, it's going to be a different tournament this year. I think, and look, last year there was some criticism of this election committee about not including a lot of the print journalists who day in and day out had demonstrated their hack worthiness. Yeah. I think the committee has responded here. I think there's an effective number of, of print journalists here representing their profession. Yes. We look at some of the seeds that are, are most interesting. Uh, I will say the Ben Collins number one fellas. That stands out. Yeah, the way to online is going to be really strong. I mean, you know, the voting takes place on social. All of these people, that's where they operate best. I I would not be surprised to see a Collins versus Taylor Lorenz matchup. It could be one versus two over there. 
I, I, th- I think so as well. I mean, I, I think it's well-deserved that Collins eked out Taylor for the number one just because how prolific he's been the last few months, especially when Elon bought Twitter. No question. You know, I mean, like, he really earned it in these last few months. It's like it's like a team just, like, coming up on a high, finishing strong. The committee always rewards momentum coming yeah. into the tournament, no question about it. And I will say this, Oliver Darcy at a number two. Surprise? A little bit of a surprise. Uh, you know, I, I think the profile isn't there where it was before, which is why I think this is like, you know, it's on my upset alert. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mentioned that earlier. I think it is on my upset alert. A lot of solid eight nines here, Smug. What do you think? What's your favorite matchup? Uh, I mean, like like we said before, the eight nines are, are really, really going to be tight this year. I'm going to have to say Brandy Zadrozny, Kendallanian. I really hope that the folks recognize how long Ken Delane has been at it? This is a guy who spent almost 20 years being a hack. Uh, it, it's still going to be tough taking on Brandy. She's a rising star and being a hack. I think unless Delanean can get the CIA to, you know, extraordinary rendition Brandy, I think she's, <laughs> I, I she's going to edge him out. Well, that's it, folks. We've got the full 65 and we're ready to go. Remember hackmadness.org you can fill out your own brackets and follow along and remember your votes are going to be the ones that advance your favorite hacks on the twitter account of comfortably smug boy that was a fantastic fantastic preview of what's sure to be a very fun event it's just the best time of the year isn't it fellas it it feels like a holiday this is to me the real March Madness. Like, <laughs> sure, I might watch a couple basketball games, but the voting on this is what I actually do follow in March. Yeah, it's like Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you read all these articles all year, and it's just dog shit. <laughs> and you think in the back of your head, this is going to come back during Hack Madness, and people are going to be posting it under the polls that Smug puts up. At yeah. it, again, his handle comfortably Smug. Make sure to follow him because he's going to be posting all of this. And, and, and there's a body of work for a lot of these people, and they've really worked hard to get where they are in this tournament. No question about it. It is a well-deserving field this year. Couldn't be more excited about what's going to happen. But we've given people more this year than we traditionally do. We also have an interview, guys. Yeah, Dan Dockich, who, you know, I'm from Indiana. The guy's a legend. Uh, he doesn't take any bullshit. <laughs> he tells you exactly what he thinks. Uh, which is probably why he's been out of step with a lot of the, you know, left lurch of of sports broadcasting in the last 10 years. It couldn't be a more perfect placement than on this show, John. No, it really couldn't. And we're, we're very lucky to have him. We're very lucky to have him. I think we should get right to it. Dan Dockich. I want to welcome to the program just a world-class human being. Everybody I know uh, thinks the world of him. And he's also... I think one of the most preeminent commentators on sports, particularly college basketball today, Dan Dockich. Welcome to the program. Hey, it is my pleasure. I uh, The, the buildup from Senator Jim Banks' office and Tucker Carlson's son is like, man, I, I, I showered twice today already. I shaved <laughs> just because I, I want to make sure I'm sitting up straight. It's like when Bob Knight would walk into practice and you were a player. No more jacking around, boys. Let's go. The man is here. Let's go. So you got me straightened up. I'm ready to go. I'm glad to hear that, although jacking around is exactly our game here on the Ruthless Variety Program. So I think you'll fit in terrifically. Uh, I wanted to start with one bit of background. Uh, Listeners may not know this, but, you know, you think about all the people that Michael Jordan has matched up with over the course of his career, 
all the national championship, the the set the seven title. I mean, this guy couldn't be stopped except for one man. And that one man was Dan Dockich. Well, I would argue Dean Smith had a had a hand in that as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this because is what, for some reason they uh, 1984, yeah, we beat them in the, uh, must have been the South Regional down in Atlanta. This is a true story. I'm not going to bore you with the whole uh, uh, backstory, but so Knight tells me I'm going to guard Michael Jordan. And I went, literally, I went back to the hotel. I was sick. I was really sick, but I didn't tell anybody because I wouldn't get to play. Yeah. And I literally saw myself in the mirror. Uh, I, you open the hotel room door and the, hotel and it was mirrored closet and i saw myself i started thinking about michael jordan's body swear to god and i puked right there i'm like man this is on national tv so anyway i'm not gonna there's a whole lead up to it but we're playing the game and coach knight would always get there like an hour and a half before and now if you watch games kids are out there shooting we never went out yeah. on the court in fact yeah syracuse Syracuse was playing Virginia, so you couldn't go out on the court. So you had nothing to do, and I would always grab the program. And I swear to God, I know I'm guarding Michael Jordan, and this is how my life goes. I open the program just randomly, and I open it to the all-time leading scorer in the history in the history of NCAA games, and it's Austin Carr. In 1970, he scored 60 points. Okay. Um, Austin played for Notre Dame. And he was playing Ohio University. And I swear to God, this is my sad-ass mentality. I'm like, yeah, he ain't getting 60, right? <laughs> <laughs> 60. Like, I'm not going to have – I actually thought this in the locker room. You know what? I'm not going to have my son someday or daughter open a program and go, hey, Dad, NCAA all-time leading score. Michael Jordan had 64 against Indiana in 84. Didn't you play? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So this this is a true – so the game starts, he hits a bucket, they come down, he gets another bucket. So to start the game, he's got four points. He's and on now pace. I'm running down the left side and the scoreboard, and it just hits me. The scoreboard is up here, the facade. <laughs> true story. He's got four points in a minute. My magic number is 60. <laughs> I start doing the math, right? There's 40 minutes in the game. He's got four points in a minute. This son of a bitch is going to get 100. <laughs> 160 points in this game. Like, because four points in a minute times 40 minutes. And I swear to God, I thought that in the game. And uh, I'll tell you last part of it. I don't want to bore you. But – the game's over. I score like four points. I don't, I'm running off the court. I grab Alford. He had 28 or seven or whatever it was. And some really hot girl is there. And she goes, hey, Steve, we want you to talk to Billy Packer, you know, post game. And I hit him. And she goes, Dan. And I'm like, yeah, what are you thinking? She goes, uh, you too. Guys, I swear to God. I did not know why I was there. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm standing there. It's like Billy Packer, Gary Bender, Knight, myself, and Alford, and I don't know why I'm there. <laughs> they asked Knight a question, and he gives some smart-ass answer. They asked Alford something. He's a really polished freshman. I'm a junior. And I got a tooth missing here. I got knocked out. And Billy Packer goes, he goes, and Dan, how'd you do it? And I'm, you know how your brain can go quick? Like, how'd I do what? <laughs> I'm thinking, how'd I do what? 
And he goes, how'd you stop Michael Jordan? Guys, I swear to God, it's the first time I'd heard this. I did not know that I had stopped Michael Jordan. I had no idea this was a, a narrative. I, I, I'm educated. My parents are teachers. I look dead in the camera. I And I said, it just wasn't that hard. <laughs> and Knight kind of puts his arm around me. But my kids have seen it, and they laugh like crazy. But thank you for bringing that up. It's clearly a good memory. Well, that's a good thing after that line that you didn't have to face Michael Jordan down the road, right? I mean, that would have been I faced him in golf. Hey, true story. I was telling you, I faced him in golf, beat him out of six grand that summer, and the SOB did not pay. He tried to pay <laughs> me with Polaroid cameras that he got for free, plain pocket jeans, and like Kleenex or something. I'm like, dude, six grand. Where are you going? <laughs> oh, true man. story. I love that. I love it. Well, so... Our uh, resident Indianan here, our Hoosier, is Michael Duncan. He's a alumni of the the great university, and I think you were around when when Dockett was around. In yeah, the end. yeah, I was I was there in the infamous era of Kelvin Sampson. Oh yeah, uh, you know when you came in as interim. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that experience coming back to Indiana, where you you know served as an assistant under under Bobby Knight? You know what that was like. Was it just surreal? Yeah, it was insane. I, I knew Samson was a cheat, but I always liked him. So he wants to hire me. And I got a young family. And my, my sister, my brother, everybody lives in India or Bloomington. My sister was a prosecutor in Bloomington. My brother, an attorney and a prosecutor, was a prosecutor in uh, Indianapolis. So we had a conversation. I go, Calvin, I, I, you know, uh, I ain't coming here if you're cheating, like, dude. I mean, you, you know, I don't know. So I went and visited with him at his house. And I was going to tell I took the ops job there. And I come in, and it's uh, it's like whatever. So it must have been June, middle of June, because the first day I was there, I went and helped run the basketball camp for kids. And, you know, the, the dress code, like I'm overdressed. Like the dress code <laughs> at Indiana's basketball office was like a T-shirt and shorts and whatever. <laughs> and after about all of a sudden, June 1st or July 1st hits, and everybody is out on the road. I mean, not me. I was an ops guy. I couldn't recruit. So these guys were out recruiting. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, guys started coming back to the office and dressing in suits. Finally, about the middle of July, I've been there six or eight weeks. And I'm like, I, I close the door. My, my friend Jeff Meyer was on the staff. I go, Jeff, what, what's going on here? He goes, you don't know? I go, no. He goes, we're under investigation. The NCAA's come in here. Samson, Senderoff, Ray McCollum are all cheating their brains out. Oh. And uh, the NCAA's been here. I go, what? I go, <laughs> I literally, six, eight weeks ago, just asked Samson. He goes, oh, he knew. He is lying to you. Oh. He, goes, he, goes, he goes, he wanted to get you here. Like, I'm not saying I'm a good dude, but in college basketball circles, I got pretty good reputation for integrity and a bunch of different right. stuff. He goes, he wanted you back here to kind of make it look. I go, okay. He goes, and I'll never forget Jeff saying that. You're going to be the head coach here probably by midseason. I go, shut up. Anyway, season <laughs> goes along, and all of a sudden, like, it starts – it's every day. And I'm the ops guy, so it was me and Samson in these meetings, and I would sit there and look at him like, man, oh. you SOB, you lying mother, you know. <laughs> but, hey – so one day, the day before, um, it's kind of interesting because Twitter wasn't a thing, yeah. but message boards were. 
Okay. So the night before, and I can't remember exactly what it was, on a message board for real quick, it said something about finances that was 100% true. Like whatever, whoever put it out, it was 100 and I knew it. The next day, the AD calls me, goes, hey, you know, do you see that on a message board? And I wish I could remember. I wrote it down somewhere. But anyway, that started a whole new investigation into Samson to where the vice president of the university, myself, Samson, the AD, he came in. His name is Mike uh, Mike Sample, complete jackass. He comes (laughs) in and he goes – well, this is a one-day story. We're not messing around. You know, I go, Mike, this is a freaking national story that ain't going away. We <laughs> need like a problem. Right. Yeah. And uh, long story short, dudes are smoking weed. Samson don't care. Oh. I'm bitching. I'm moaning. Samson and I get on the outs. We, we, we're going to play Ohio State. Two guys show up late, and it smells like a Cheech and Chong movie. I take <laughs> over. And – I got every coach in college basketball and urban, everybody, every, I know a bunch of NFL guys are like, look, <laughs> let these guys smoke weed, let them not go, just win games, then kick everybody out of there. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, but I couldn't do it. Um, started suspending guys, kicked two guys off the team, made everybody go to class. Um, Heaven forbid you got a coach that upholds a little bit of integrity in the, in the program. Yeah, they were, right? they, and, and, you know, I told you when they made me the coach, I said, here's what you want. Here's what I want to do. I want to kick off Bassett. I want to kick off uh, Jamarcus Ellis. I want to kick off DeAndre Thomas. I want to kick off McGee. And there was one other guy, Eli Holman. I said, let's just kick. No, you can't do that. I said, all right. Um, but anyway, we get beat. I don't get the job. I end up in broadcasting and I'm on your show. So life is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've transitioned uh, from your, your coaching career into an incredible broadcasting career that's taken you a number of different places. You're at Outkick now. Uh, I'm wondering now that we're sort of on the eve of March Madness, if you can't give us a little uh, overview of what do you think is going to happen in this tournament? Oh, I'll give you a hell of an overview. Let's do it. I mean, I'll, uh, first off, I'm calling VCU uh, to upset St. Mary's, and I'm betting my face off on it. I'll tell you <laughs> yeah. right now. I'm, like, I may be door dashing after VCU if they lose to St. Mary's. Uh, but I, I, I think Indiana got a great draw. You got to understand, the head of the committee is Chris Reynolds. Chris played for us. I recruited Chris to Indiana in the early 90s. He's a great dude. He's a lawyer. So he did Indiana right. He's like, a little thumb Indiana on the scale. Has a better draw than Purdue, and Purdue is the number one seed. Purdue has to play in the second round. Memphis. Memphis just beat Samson's number one seeded Houston Cougars by twenty. Yeah. And Memphis has the best guard in college basketball. His name is Kendrick Davis. He's been to three schools. He scored like twenty five hundred points. Indiana has to play Kent State. And then either Drake or fifth or sixth place Miami team. Chris Reynolds did us a solid in Indiana. <laughs> Everybody that sees Chris Reynolds at Knicks should buy him beers, should buy him buckets and pitchers and everything else because my man did us a solid. And, and, um, and what what a sweet story it would be to beat Kent State because they are now coached by one of Samson's assistants, right? I took his job. At, he was a cheating little prick. Um, <laughs> his name is Rob Senderoff. And when I get to Indiana, this cheating little prick that I knew from the Mac uh, tells me, well, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. This ain't that Bobby Knight stuff no more. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are great, man. We weren't very good when I was here the first time. I hope you guys, <laughs> you know, 
You know what I mean? Like, all right, brother. Well, if Indiana fans are watching this, there's a kid kid named Bud Mackey. Bud Mackey was a big-time recruit out of Kentucky. And Senderoff, very, you know, he knew everything. He got Bud Mackey to come to Indiana. I'll never forget the day. Bud Mack, Senderoff comes in my office. He's not a coach at Kent State. Comes in my office, bawling like a little batch. <laughs> and he's like, hey. He's like, did you see what happened? I, this is before, you know, it, Twitter. So I, I didn't see everything up to date. I may have actually been taking a dump or something and not <laughs> seen the news, right? So he goes, I go, what happened with Bud Mackey? He goes, he got arrested on drug charges, armed robbery. Oh, I don't God. know what I'm going to do. They're, they're going to fire me. I go, they should fire you. I go, what's wrong with you recruiting an idiot like this? He's balling. So this is a guy that went from incredibly arrogant, cheating his little brains out, to now he's balling in my office. So about midway through the season, Samson needed a scapegoat. He got rid of uh, Senderoff, and I became a uh, full-time assistant and then became the head coach for the last seven games. So, yeah, if Indiana loses to this little clown, my head may implode. I'll, I'll have my wife take a picture of brain against the freaking uh, sliding glass door over here. You cannot lose to this little weasel. <laughs> well, I wanted so this actually brings up a decent point. So this guy recruits an armed robber and ends up getting himself fired. Yeah. What's your take on the Alabama situation? Obviously, they're the number one overall seed. You got Miller in there who delivered a weapon that ultimately ended up in a using a murder that that ended a woman's life. Uh, he didn't miss so much as a, a second a time. Um, you know, he obviously wasn't charged with any crimes, which of course is a, a distinction there, but. What's your take? Uh, I, my take is I'd be a bad AD because I'd fire the coach. Here, here, here's what I, you know, again, people, I'm a bad guy, I guess, for this. But think about the coach. you got 13 guys on scholarship, three of them, three of them. One is up for capital murder. The <laughs> other one was there, either instigating or being a part of. And the third one brought a gun to a murder scene. Now, I don't know if they even have 13 guys on scholarship. I would say, look, you're fired. You're gone. Um, you can spin it any way that you would like, but this is simply about covering for a player. That's a great player. He's the number three pick in the draft. There are two G League players. Well, there's a kid overseas, seven foot four kid named Victor something. And then there's a G League player. He's the best college basketball player uh, in terms of the NBA draft. Yeah. So this to me is Alabama doing what Alabama does. Now, you got to remember back during the football season, uh, we talked about this a lot on OutKick. After Tennessee beat Alabama, one of their wide receivers, for whatever the reason, the crowd rushed the field. He's coming off, and he just smacked some yeah. young lady, some co-ed. And Nick Saban said, well, he was scared. I'm like, no, you're not. I mean, I mean, you know, the, so Alabama really wants to win, right? I mean, I mean that's the, <laughs> They've made right? that clear, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, kind of their deal. Uh, but I would have fired the coach um, – immediately but again like the thing where you asked me about indiana i'm kind of stupid that way i i just think college athletics should mean more than a guy bringing three guys three guys onto a campus that were involved in one way or another in a capital murder i just think there's such a we've there's such a shifting set of accountability for things like this i mean look there's been programs and players over the years have either had their seasons wiped out, their careers wiped out, or banners actually taken down from the rafters for like, you know, somebody taking a test for them. 
but you deliver right. a, a murder weapon to a murder scene and all of a sudden now we're like eh, he's a good player he might go number one number two number three in the draft yeah it's unbelievable it, it, it you know they just hired it how about this this is college basketball so think about the two guys that just got hired yesterday chris beard who i really like goes from texas where he yep. if you read the police report it is awful yeah. Now his he choked his fiance. If you read it, it is terrible. Um, you know the fiance didn't want to press charges, which is you know we all know. My sister was a domestic violence prosecutor in Monroe County in Bloomington, and she's like, yeah, the victim always does that. You know when I when I called her about this because I wanted to know because I like Chris a lot. I mean I've known him. He worked for Coach Knight. I've known him. But think about who gets hired. He just gets hired at Old Miss, and McNeese State hires a guy named Will Wade. And today. They hired him yesterday. Today, they announced they're suspending him for five games. Today, <laughs> hired yesterday. Like you can't make you can't make this stuff up in college athletics. You you cannot make up that a six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pound, built perfect wide receiver coming off of a field that decides to reach over here and slap a co-ed was scared. Yeah. And people bought it and people defended it. Yeah. Uh, Nick Saban and the guy you can't buy you can't make up a guy getting a job at a university and then immediately be suspended or a guy choking out his girlfriend at least allegedly in a police report and getting what you could say was every bit as good a job or certainly a power you can't make this stuff up in college <laughs> basketball you can't <laughs> you think that some of this has to do with the nature of transfer portals and you know, now the fact that we've got that no player is is totally committed to a program at this point. And so it's it's tougher for these programs to keep their blue chip players happy and around for a little while. Does that do you think that has any anything to do with it? I think it's all intertwined. Now, you know, there's a saying in coaching, which is get fired for anything. And I mean, anything except losing and you will always find another job you get fired for losing you're not, i don't care if you're mother Teresa, right uh so that's always been around but i will say this there is a looseness to college basketball college athletics there is a hey look there's nobody minding the store there is no ncaa enforcement there is no rules when you when i talk to coaches and i talk to them every single day like i put out a thing today on twitter about uh myself and my assistant back at Bowling Green standing up to Bob Huggins when he was cheating like hell uh, to get a kid. It's not a victimless crime when you cheat. It's like steroids in baseball. People think steroids in baseball is victimless. No, you and I are in the minor leagues. I decide to do roids. Uh, you decide not to. We're both battling for second base. I hit 27 home runs. You're back selling insurance and I'm in the freaking big leagues. And it's the same thing in college coaching, I would not have gotten a second contract if we didn't get a kid named Keith McLeod. Keith McLeod became a great player his senior year. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but Huggins was cheating his brains out with a guy named Brett Barrett to get him not to come to Bowling Green and go to Cincinnati. If I don't get that kid, I don't win 24 games. I don't average 20 wins over a five-year period. Yeah. Huggins and people that do that, it's not victimless. Well, now everybody's in the same boat. Like I never cheated. I never broke a rule. I never, ever, ever one time I, I thought about it. I got Catholic guilt. It's crushing. <laughs> but now there's no rules. Like, yeah. co coach, there's nobody that we're going to say, well, I don't want the NCAA calling me. They don't care. So yes, to your point, it's an all encompassing mass of crap uh, that for the most part goes unchecked.
Well, uh, it's it's interesting you say that, uh, Dan, because you're talking about it. Outkick covers it, but there is a lot about sports media that just is coming up way short. And like a lot of everybody who's listening to this show, the fellas and I grew up watching ESPN. But over the last 20 years or so, the network has moved awfully hard left. And I'm just wondering if you could explain why you think the network moves so hard left and whether they have a chance to get back to the center someday. That's interesting. Uh, John Skipper um, was the head of ESPN. And John, I forget why, but we had an all-talent meeting at ESPN. And it was actually fun because I was sitting between Aaron Andrews and Samantha Ponder discussing my love life. I've just been been divorced. And I'm like, hey, I got this woman. What do you think? And, you know, Aaron Andrews was giving me advice. Sam Ponder, I'm like, hey, I don't ever want this meeting to end. This is freaking (laughs) awesome. (laughs) But Skipper gave a speech. And Skipper was great. Like, man, I sent him a note. I'm really proud to work for you. I did not realize, though, that Skipper – kind of did this speech, got everybody on his side, and then said, wait a second, we are going to go to a, for lack of a better word, a woke agenda. You know, it's one thing, nobody nobody in sports cares whether or not you have a black head coach or, or a black anchor. Nobody cares. Like, literally, sports is the one thing where you're like, hey, if you're good, you're good. But when you start promoting, and then, it, then politics starts creeping into sports centers. Mm-hmm. At six o'clock, when they had Jamel Hill on it, then politics starts seeping into um, a, a Stephen A. Smith show or Greenberg show or an afternoon broadcast, and then you have a real problem. And Skipper facilitated that, you know, mm-hmm. between Lebetard and some of the guys in his crew, uh, and and the six o'clock Jamel Hill, and he wanted that. He felt like that's the way the country was going. And then what happened with George Floyd? Then the last thing, and I was working there at the time, the last thing ESPN wanted, and it's the same thing with basically every company, I suppose, they did not want to be on any of those lists where we did a diversity report and you guys fall short. Yeah. So they decided, look, we are going to go completely in this direction. And you know what? That's that nobody, like I said, nobody in sports cares whether you have three white guys on a set three, but nobody cares. But what people care about is watching sports. What people care about is not having L Duncan break into a basketball game and start talking about the don't say gay, which it isn't the name of the law. Anyway, they don't want that. They don't want Jalen Rose lying on TV about the death uh, or non-death of somebody. They don't want that. Look, if you is certainly people want you to speak up, but you got to speak up accurately. And yeah. people see, hey, look, not only have you moved insanely to the left, but you're inaccurate and you're slanting your your view such that you're trying to get us to move with you to the left. Like they have lied on national TV. They have lied about who's got a weapon, who doesn't have a weapon. I mean, in the <laughs> NBA finals on the court. And you know what? People say this is stupid. Yeah. You've hey, got you, you got Kendrick have, you want, Yeah, Kendrick that? Perkins. Kendrick Perkins. Just the other day I saw this clip. He was basically accusing all the people who voted for MVP in the NBA as being racist because they picked a white player. And yeah. I, and thankfully JJ Reddick was on on um on first take to sort of, you know, offer a different opinion. But like 
this was the most bonkers thing I'd ever seen yeah, on television. Wild. And it lasted multiple days. The insinuation that somehow the voters were racist because, you know, a white player happened to win this year. Right. We call Kendrick Perkins America's racist. He is uh, he's, he's he he literally said that J.J. Reddick crushed him. And you know what? People that have sense, whether it's Barkley or whether it's me or whether it's the Outkick crew or whether it's Whitlock said, yeah, you're an idiot. Enough. Like, enough. And, of course, how did Perkins handle that? He handled it like a bullying child. He started yeah. yelling, uh, and it was awful for him. He should be taken off the network. Like, I had a million calls. I had a lady named Joanna Mellis, who is a professor. She was going back and forth that I was a racist. And I said, look, uh, you know, I said, something about, you know, if you haven't been in the arena, and she sends me this this no well you want to get in the arena you want to go swimming we can go at it in the pool and i said i'm not going at it with anybody that isn't my wife like, i'm just telling you <laughs> that became a national story i had to answer it. i sexualized her i debased her uh, I said, you know yeah. espn asked me i go let me tell you something i go i when i turned 50 i got divorced 48 i got divorced and i'm ugly <laughs> but I got good jobs. So I moved to the head of the class of all the women around here. And I had women coming at me left and right. And not when I, when I, I knew I was going to marry my current wife, I would never, I don't care the context. I don't care whether it was in the context of a competition. I'm not embarrassing my wife. I'm yeah. not, I am not doing anything but shutting down any pass at me. Now that sounds arrogant. Who would make a pass at this? I agree. <laughs> I'm just telling you when you get divorced in your late forties, and if you got a good job, baby, it's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, so I told you, I go, I don't give a damn how you, how she spins it. Indy star picked it up. I debased her, you know, uh, one of the ladies, uh, Stephanie Drooley, who runs ESPN, uh, call or runs the basketball. She called me. And she, well, you know, the ladies of ESPN are, are uh, really upset. I go, yeah. I go, one of your ladies is having an affair with a friend of mine. She's married with two kids. Like, really? You know, I love that he's answer. got two kids. You got two kids, and they're having an affair. I mean, what? What, what, what do we? So, <laughs> what, what else would you like it? to know, lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm like, hey, you know. But Sage Steele, Sage Steele, you know Ryan Clark, who who is on that yeah. show. Uh, he, you know, he won't work with Sage because of her conservative views and they allow it. Like, yeah. could you imagine, I don't know, Sage saying to somebody, I'm not working with you because of your liberal views. They would lose their freaking mind. Well, yeah, she wouldn't it's have a, a job. And, right. He wouldn't. And the guys that run ESPN, 1000% no. It's a train that is run off the rails. It's a train that I don't even think they can figure out how to begin to pull it back in. I know that the guys that I know, I got a lot of friends there still, are like, this is a train wreck with the politics, with the breaking into games and announcing stuff. It's a mess, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah, so so just to wrap up this side of the conversation, Dan, you've been outspoken, I mean, basically your whole life, right? Uh, but, you know, particularly as a, as a broadcaster, and you've never had a secret about what your views are on a whole range of things. How much of that do you think has prevented uh, you and your career and your your career development as a broadcaster of people saying like, ah, this guy's conservative. What the hell is he doing in here? I don't think the conservative part really came out until I went to OutKick because it wasn't allowed to at ESPN. 
So that was, like, but I think that's that in and of itself is part of the deal, right? I mean, the fact that all yeah. these guys on air every day can tell you exactly who they voted for, and you're sort of a, a committed, you've got your views, and, and you don't feel like you can actually express them. I absolutely knew I could not. I mean, yeah. the rule I actually sent Kendrick Perkins' tweet where he's dropping F bombs to Norby Williamson, who's the head of ESPN. I said, hey, apparently the Twitter rules are now a little bit different, huh? <laughs> um, I mean, you know. Uh, I knew, like knew that, uh, uh, you know, in fact, Seth Greenberg and I were on Twitter kind of going back and forth during one of the debates, right? I forget what it was. It was one of the debates. We both got called. I, or at least I got called. I think he got called. Hey, you know, we don't want you guys being political. Right. right. And I'm like, really? <laughs> All right. Uh, you telling that to Jalen? How's that going? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, and, you know, that's the reason, Pete, you know, the Indie Star really does not like me. And if you Google me, you will see a lot of stuff about what a bad guy I am. And I don't particularly think I'm a bad guy, but who knows? <laughs> the, 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 I left ESPN. I called Clay Travis. Uh, I knew the end was near um, because I was supposed to work the ACC tournament uh, with a man named Scott Johnson. We were talking about this yesterday, and Scott is literally the best director at ESPN. He's he's nationally known. He's been the best director at CBS. Uh, they'd have him do the Sunday night or Saturday night football game, uh, biggest college football game. He's done. He, we work. Me, Mike Tirico, and Scotty worked uh, the Big Ten uh, games, the biggest Big Ten games for ten years, and now he's on the ACC. Scott calls me my last year, and he goes, "Hey, we've been taken off the ACC tournament." I go, what are you talking about? We've done it for five years. He goes, well, you know, diversity and blah, blah, blah. I go, okay, no problem. So ESPN calls me later. A guy, Dan, hey, we want you to do the AAC. We think that's a better. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, but <laughs> guy who took Scott's job as a director had never directed a single ACC game. And Scott oh, had man. done it all year. So anyway, that, I got off the phone with the ESPN guy and I called Clay and I go, look, I want to work for you. He yeah. goes, done. Let's get it figured out. So That's he great. made me an offer, and I it spelled out what I could talk about. Yeah, and which is basically everything, right? I've yet to find <laughs> I've yet to find anything that you can't or won't talk about since right. you've been over there. So I feel like that right. was a so I, so I, paper. I, it was like, man, free at last, right? I mean, <laughs> I told ESPN, I'm out. We'll see you later. And people say I got fired. I I didn't. I just got a great offer. And and like you got, you can talk. You can you can be yeah. part of the conversation. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've done a whale of a job, uh, Dan, Dan. We've got three questions that we ask absolutely everybody that comes on here. Uh, the the first one is if you could plan your mat last meal on Earth, what would it be? Oh man, uh, it'd be Coney dogs from uh, Coney King in Gary, Indiana. Uh, but you got to get them before four because the sun goes down and they close because there's been a few murders in there, including one that I was at uh, that I saw. Um, it'd be shrimp cocktail. I love shrimp cocktail, French onion soup. I'd get Coney's, uh, and then uh, I would I would find the person that owned Old Mill, which is a pizzeria uh, in Northwest yeah. Indiana, and I would demand that uh, you know the gods allow him or her if she's still. Alive, make me a sausage pizza. I'm very simple taste. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. You, that's a real a la carte selection, yeah. too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question. Ready? Yeah. Yep. Shoot. This is an ongoing debate. I contend that if you really like something, 
and you really like something food wise yeah combining them is always good <laughs> wait, 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 wait. boy that just depends i mean at the exact same time are you saying like chocolate like ice I'm cream putting, and i'm putting shrimp on chili? ice cream i'm wow. putting shrimp on ice cream well i'm from cincinnati we do chili on spaghetti so right. i guess that i guess that i could be in that yeah camp. i mean ashbrook's an animal though dan this you can't his it, like they just mix it all together and throw it down their throat in cincinnati <laughs> yeah. i don't think that works I think, right. I think if I'm if I'm getting the shrimp cocktail from St. Elmo's with that extra spicy horseradish, uh, at that point, my taste buds are ruined and I could eat whatever I would want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair point. Fair point. I mean, I look a lot goes with steak. You can go and that would that would be what I choose. So, I, yeah, I could do a lot of stuff. No. And if you're thinking about like a Thanksgiving you know, like a Thanksgiving dinner, you got the mashed potatoes, yeah, you, you, got mash the all that you mash all that together and then you just make a bite. You know, that's, that's right. a good point. Yeah. I never thought about this, Dan. You really brighten our horizons. Well, I, I'm a deep thinker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Second question. If you never got into college basketball, not even for a minute, and you've got this blue sky time in your life where you can fill it with absolutely anything with the benefit of retrospect, what do you think it would be? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I've always been a news freak. Um, I was a 10-year-old, and the newspaper wasn't delivered uh, to my house on time, so I became the paper boy because I wanted to control. Uh, I, I actually may have been a sports writer. I may have tried to, you know, maybe get into broadcasting early. I studied broadcasting at Indiana, not because I cared about it, because there was no math. I knew I was going to get into coaching. <laughs> hey, did you take finite math at Indiana? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one of the prerequisites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, what did you? So I'm sitting in class. <laughs> I went to Catholic school. Petey Nono sits next to me. He's from Maryville, my the same town. He goes, "Hey Doc, it's you're smart. I'm going to cheat off you." I go, "Hey man, I don't blame you, but you're going to get a D." I said, <laughs> "You're not going to get an F." I said, "But you're going to get a D." So he's cheating off me on the final. The professor catches him, and I said, "Well, now you're going to get an F." <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't do math. I couldn't That's get the low calculus. floor, high ceiling. Got a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, is this bad to say? But at Indiana, in calculus, I, I couldn't understand a professor. No, I, I couldn't. They always had like some professor from somewhere that I'm like, I got nothing, man. So I got into broadcast, whatever school it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last the last math class I I took, Dan was actually called math. <laughs> okay. just math it's like the shirt college yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right all right so let's here's the last one and this you got to stick with me for a second because it's a little esoteric and i got to explain it but our view is that most successful people are motivated by one of two things the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and it's not that anybody likes losing obviously it's what motivates you to keep going right i mean jordan is the prototypical agony of defeat guy any championship you ever won he appreciated it for like two minutes and then you know went about trying to find the next slight <laughs> that would take him to the next one you know the, the other side of the coin clearly sunny optimist you know glass half full it's their own motivation to try to keep achieving and that's that's the uh thrill of victory personality on that spectrum where do you think you find yourself I am agony of defeat. I am, <laughs> yeah. I am, I, th to this day, we lost a high school state championship, friend of mine, uh, down one, 18,000 people in the stands, Digger Phelps, Bob Knight, Gene Carey, everybody, he missed two free throws with no time on the clock. Oh. We're down one. And 
I'm still pissed at him, not because he missed the free throws, but I was on fire in the second half, and instead of throwing it ahead to me so I could make a play, he dribbled it up and shot, and the jackass missed two free throws. Uh, <laughs> I think about the game after Michael Jordan. I turned the ball over with a minute 18 to go against Virginia. Uh, we were up one, and in my mind, that cost us going to the Final Four. Uh, I think about a kid from Minnesota. You were in college. Uh this kid, Blake Hoffiver, hits a shot yeah, in the Big Ten tournament. And I think about a play at Bowling Green. We were going to get Bowling Green. Hadn't been to the NCAA tournament since 1968. We were the number one seed. We're up three. Miami can't get a shot. They shoot a two. My point guard doesn't block out. They get it back, kick it back, hit basically a 28-foot shot, send it to overtime, and legitimately the same thing happens. I think about that freaking play every <laughs> night, true story, and then I take the melatonin and I and and I have 17 <laughs> shots of whiskey, and then maybe, just maybe, I, don't go, I go to sleep. Oh, that's so good. That is, you just described it in a nutshell. Oh, man, I love it. Every night. So, all right. So, before we wrap up, are you gonna you're gonna throw some wagers down here this week? I heard VCU. Uh, you like Memphis? Uh, you know, I mean, are you gonna have to DoorDash again? Well, is this is this the, the <laughs> where no, are we going with this uh, roster? No, I can prove this. Uh, I have changed my gambling style, and this month I'm up twenty four hundred because what I've started to do was one research it, and two. Uh, take favorites, parlays for plus money. So I'll tell you what I got tonight. So tonight, let me look this up here. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a two-team parlay. Uh, NIT, Rutgers against Hofstra. Rutgers has a great coach. So does Hofstra. But Rutgers' coach is going to make damn sure in the rack that they play hard. And then I like Texas Corpus Christi over SEMO. SEMO lost five in their last seven, ran through the conference tournament. But that's what I like tonight. I like Indiana. Uh, on a money line, I don't know if I want to give points so much in the tournament, but I'll give you right now. I'll tell you this. Uh, I'm not going to take Michigan minus six over Toledo. That, to me, is a sucker bet, but I will take Michigan on a money line and then UAB against Southern Miss tonight on a money line, and that is going to pay me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> what's it going to pay me here? It's going to pay me enough that I am going to go to Sizzler and I'm going to have an unbelievable meal. So is it true that uh, you promised your wife that you would DoorDash to pay back whatever your losings are here? You ever hear of a restaurant called the World of Beer? <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's a chain, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing my indie show from the World of Beer. It's the first round of the NCAA tournament. Show's over at three. Games are going. It's the first time DraftKings is really in Indiana. All right, now my boy starts showing up, right? <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm down. But I'm live betting. I bet live betting Ohio State. They lose, so I lose a bunch. All right, Purdue's up next. Purdue ain't losing to whatever. They're down. Perfect. I can live bet them. Lose. <laughs> Last game of the night, Texas. I'm live betting my face off. Like, hey, Texas is up. And then a horse bleep call. They lose to like Corpus Christi or Abilene or something. I lose four grand. Oh. I never lost four grand in my life. I wake up. I wake up at like five in the morning in a sweat because I owe my family. 
Like people make fun of me for this, but I don't care. That's just people of no character. I owe my family. What I did was not right. And I'm big on, all right, if we're going to go somewhere, let me get a, let me get a pile of money here and then let's go to Greece or let me, let me get a fund going here. So my wife's like, don't worry about it. Okay. Don't worry. You're all right. I go, no, I got, I saw six in the morning. I started figuring it out. I literally went to White's Hardware right here. I filled out an application. <laughs> You're big Indiana fans. They call me up. They go, Dan, I got to tell you, you're the most overqualified guy in the history of this hardware store to work part-time. <laughs> the head coach at Indiana, even for seven games, has never applied for a job here. I go, all right, well, I'm applying because I got it. They go, well, I go, what are you paying? They go, 12, 13 bucks. My, my stepson, Jared, goes, hey, Dan, I make 25 an hour door dashing. <laughs> so I, I literally started door dashing. It took me um, – Probably it's so from March, April, May, June, July. It took me about four and a half months, but I paid every damn dime back. And now <laughs> my now my wife, because I'm a fatty, my wife says, "Hey, instead of hanging around the house from four to six picking at food, why don't you go DoorDash?" So, <laughs> so, so true story. I go DoorDash, and my goal is to make fifty bucks a week, and I have a. It's called Dockage Cycles for the City. We, we have a thing with the Indiana. We give bikes away to kids. Yeah. So every week, whenever I make door dashing, I send it, you know, to our bikes program. That's and awesome. I think and it's part diet. <laughs> but she's like, get your fat ass out of the house. <laughs> eating the pretzels and the Cheetos and door dash. So there you go. So so you caught me door dashing. I love the the Catholic guilt here is running real strong. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> hey, can I tell you? Can I tell you a nun story? Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. sure. So I'm a senior Andre in high school, and I'm like a big wheel, right? I mean, I'm going to Indiana, blah 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 blah. I'm at a dance, and I take this girl. I'm not going to say her name, and she's gets hammered. <laughs> like I didn't drink in high school, hammered, and I'm like, dude, you're insane. Like I kind of left her. So I'm literally, this is how nuns are. I'm literally in the, at the urinal, one of those long urinals. And I'm talking, all of a sudden, a tap. No. I turn around, fully exposed, right? And it's Sister freaking Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm lucky I didn't pee on her, right? I mean, I'm out. It's, you know. And uh, she goes, what is your girlfriend doing passed out drunk in the ladies' room? I go, why are you asking me? Ask her. I go, what? <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like this, right? I'm Jeffrey Tubin it. I'm trying hard. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to pull things up. It's unbelievable. Oh, I love it. Listen, we could do this for hours. Dan, this is, uh, this is the time of our life. Easily the highlight of the week. Let's do it again sometime, can we? All you got to do is call. I'm in, man. It's been fun for me. Thank you. We love it. Thank Dan Dockich, everybody. I mean, he is very entertaining. The guy could have probably told stories for another hour, and I'm hoping that we have him back to tell some more. Oh, totally. Great stuff. I love the degenerate gambling, too. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to love that. But he also make making the family whole by doing DoorDash. I oh, mean, what a guy. What character. Yeah. What character. I love it to death. Smug, this special Wednesday episode of Hack Madness is complete. I, if I say so myself, this could be the absolute best Hack Madness bracket that we have. Again, folks, remember, visit hackmadness.org, print out your bracket sheet, fill it out, get your friends involved, 
And don't forget to vote. I'm going to post every one of these games. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.